Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, good uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is Bob, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Bob. Um, eight months sober. Uh, gave away ten years to give away four years to give now eight months. So I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be asked to, to help you all out with this topic. Welcome to this session on Tradition Three, tradition three and Tradition Five. That pregnant pause, I love that. Anyway, um, my name is Bob and I am a recovering sexaholic and I'll be facilitating the session. I'm joined by uh, Bodie. Um, it's a Friday date, December 11, uh, December 19th, 2011. Hey, Bodie. Paul S., uh, two years. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. So, uh, basically what we're going to do is, like a lot of the rest of them, is, is simply share um, our recovery experiences on this topic, and then each of us will give about 15 minutes. Um, and... We have a timer, I believe, someone with cards. Is that true or not? But then we'll go on to the ask it basket question answer process, same as we have had in the other sessions you may have attended. Simply as we're going along, feel free um, to get up, move around if you need to. Um, I know I can't sit in one spot very long without having to move around. But if you have a question, don't delay. Just get up and come right up here and write it on the table and stick it in the basket. And... Uh, we will do everything we can to get to all of the questions as, as best. We may consolidate. If we have the same question asked three times, we may consolidate it into one. So stick it in the basket, and we'll do that on the, on the second half. Um, in the spirit of the fifth tradition uh, to carry the message, this is a recorded session, and the recording equipment uh, will not be turned off during this session. So please don't tamper with the equipment. And so uh, official opening should be done with the serenity prayer. Let's give a moment of silence for those who are still suffering, and then we'll, we'll have the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. I will, but I might be done. So, it says here that, uh, yes, a purpose. We'll, we'll read that. Um, I will, if you want. Um, right here it is, in fact. The essay Purpose, Sexaholics Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And there are no dues or fees for SA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, and neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Um, so who wants to go first here? I'm Paul, grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, the traditions have, be really, have become near and dear to my heart because it helps me uh, get out of myself and understand the fellowship as a whole. Um, there's a lot of good historical readings that can be found in uh, the AA literature and some of the literature that... SA has. Um, Tradition 3 initially was written around 1948 and it was published in the 70s. Tradition 5, uh, April 48, and again it was published in the 70s. So that just shows you that a group conscience 
and some type of form of unanimity uh, takes a while to get there so we can keep these things uh, the same as they were for us and that uh, the same that they'll be for the new ones. In tradition three, the only desire to stop lusting and to become sexually sober. One of the things that uh, I found when started to discover and go deeper into the traditions um, about my self-resentments, how I thought things were, how I thought they should be, and I would just I would look at the people and decide whether or not um, they've had that desire, and it wasn't up to me. Um, so I, what I found is I was prejudicing myself from the light of the spirit by uh, trying to compare myself to others. Um, judging and resentment um, affect my desire to stop lusting because that feeds my lust. Um, being here in Nashville, sometimes the uh, part of celebritism can um, also get in the way. Um, the great part about this disease for me is the fact that it doesn't matter where you come from, your education, your economics, that uh, we're all the same on the inside. Uh, so for me, it, it's been a, a great opportunity to um, look at myself and also look at the group as a whole. Um, with Tradition 5, and the one purpose is to carry the message. And if I'm not working the program, doing the step work, calling a sponsor, calling other people in the program, if I'm not um, serving the group, I can't carry the message. Um, carry the message of the group, it ends up carrying the message of what Paul thinks. And my best thoughts got me in here. Uh, the greatest thing I've ever heard, I think, since I came into this program is, I know that I know that I don't know that I don't know. And that was freeing to, um, to finally understand that. One of the other things that I finally had to come to realize is that I'm a con man. And I hated that, uh, that I can make anybody believe anything about the way I think it should be and what the primary purpose is and how you should work things and how we should carry that message. Um, I realized today that the only way you can carry the message is if you have experience, and that's an action. So I've had to uh, take the action, the action to love, as it's said sometimes, that I don't have to like you, but I have to love you, and I don't have to play golf with you. So uh, that was freeing to me. Um, but I'm just so excited to, uh, to have those opportunities to go deeper, and I encourage everyone to uh, do a study on the traditions, do uh, look at the concepts, um, and really look at your own motivations. For me, uh, my motivations and personal opinions uh, can get in the way of uh, someone else's recovery, and I have to remember that it's not about me. It's uh, it's about the group, and also the only the only requirement is a desire to stop, and uh, I needed to hear that, and I need to carry that message, not for people to come in and say, well, you need to go. Uh, to this outside affair, or this is what you should do, because that can be very confusing. I know in one of the groups I was in, um, there were certain people who had gone uh, to third-party help, but when people came in, they thought that's what you were supposed to do. And people were doing it, and it was confusing a lot of people because uh, you can you can still go through the steps, work with a sponsor, and uh, get those desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober, you can still carry the message and the purpose um, if you follow the program the way it's laid out. I like to use this checklist that I've handed out as part of my 10th step on a daily uh, meditation to go back and look at it and review my day and see where, uh, where things have come up. Certainly the first question in there it says, in my mind, do I prejudice some new SA members as losers? You know, uh, that's strong. That's very strong to me. 
And um, I can't do that because they have a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. So who am I to make that decision whether whether they should or not? And um, it's not up to me to judge someone whether they're telling the truth or not telling the truth. Uh, I have to take it on face value because I know that uh, if I can be honest with myself and then I can be honest with the group, um, those desires will stop. Those um, my sharings will be honest and sincere, and uh, I can feel like I'm I'm part of the group. Um, when people sometimes come to the program uh, and they they're looking to find out information, you know, about other certain things outside of. Uh, I have to be careful to protect the anonymity of the program and to protect the anonymity of other people and their problems. Uh, and the step five for me, um, you know, it says, do I ever cop out by saying I'm not a group so that this tradition doesn't apply to me? If I want to be part of the group, then I have to accept what's been truly given freely before me so I can accept it and I can share it the same way that it's been given. I can't imagine what it would have been like if uh, if I've been able to come to a program and each time I go somewhere else to visit that it's different. Uh, the intent is the same. The application might be different. Or where is my motive today on, on that group? Um, some groups like to start some prayers a different way. Some groups like to finish another way. It's all okay. It's all good. Um, I, there's always something for me to learn. And, and for me, it's just uh, it's been a blessing that uh, there are people who've been around a long time and, they're, and that they are so passionate about keeping it simple, um, keeping it constructive, keeping it in a loving way that it can be the same because that's what I needed. I needed somebody to love me and I wanted to now um, give that back to anyone that I can in the way it's been freely given to me. And I'll turn that over to Bodhi. Hello, my name is Bodhi and I am a sexaholic. Um, tradition three the only requirement for SA membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And so um, I was reading in Tradition 3 in the 12 and 12 last night, and they were talking about uh, uh, the new groups that were starting, and a gentleman showed up and he said, hey, you know, you guys have what I want. I want to be here and yeah, I have a problem with alcohol, but I have this really other bad affliction. And the group sort of said, well, I don't know what to do with this. We don't know if we should let you join or not. And um, I've definitely uh, been guilty of uh, passing judgment on other people that are in pain the same way that I am. And it reminds me of uh, page 417 and uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the chapter that, or the paragraph that reads, Shakespeare said all the world is a stage and all the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. Essay and acceptance have taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us, and we are all children of God, and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork, and I'm saying that I know better than God. And it reminds me of uh, early on in my recovery, um, uh, which is my first reaction to coming into recovery, was to seek third-party help outside of a 12-step fellowship um, uh, in the form of a treatment center. And I remember being there, and about after being there about two weeks, a gentleman showed up who was younger than I was. My opinion of him was already low just by looking at him. Um, 
And the more I was around this person, the more hatred really grew in my heart. Or for like three days, I, I remember it so clearly. I mean, I, I really disliked the gentleman before this three days started. But for three days, I couldn't stand it. I was just hateful. I, I mean, and all I could think about was how I was going to dismantle this person verbally, which I was pretty good at doing um, to others, and uh, just make them feel really awful. And maybe he'd shut up. And then, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of other pieces like, you know, I didn't think he had a right to be there. I wanted him out. And I would complain to anybody that would listen. Um, and the answer I got back was, you know, the person that's your biggest lightning rod is the person you have the most to learn from. And, um, you know, then came the question that these gentlemen asked themselves about early on in uh, AA groups where the guy that showed up said, oh, i got this other problem, and should we let them in? They asked the question, what would the master do? And what a powerful question that is. What would the master do? And so after three days of, um, you know, ruining my life over somebody else, you know, uh, I said, well, what's the right thing to do? And the right thing to do was to confront him and let him know that I was angry and why. And, um, you know, he took compassion on me and, and he said, Would, can I tell you my story tomorrow? Would you listen to my story? And he, uh, I had a chance to hear his story. And after hearing his story, um, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I was in tears and not just like, oh, I'm a little weepy. I mean, I was wailing and crying. And um, I felt so much love and compassion for this gentleman, but I also felt so much guilt and shame that I'd condemned them that the reason he w- was as he was, the reason he was so irritating is those were those coping skills that he had developed to, you know, overcome all this pain. And he needed this group uh you know, just as much as I did. And so it's not up to me um, to decide who needs help and who doesn't. And it's not up to me to um, decide whether or not you're good for um, a group or if someone else is good for a group or not, or, you know, because that's me trying to play God and determine what life should be like. And um, every other time I've, I've uh, pretended to be God, um, I've learned two things. Uh, one, it's hard being God. I mean, he's got a pretty big job making everything the way it's supposed to be because I keep failing at it miserably. And, and two is that that's not my path in life. Um, so the only uh, requirement for membership is that I have a desire today uh, to stop lusting. And so I'm here for me. And if you're here, I'm happy that you're here. Um, Tradition 5, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the sexaholic who still suffers. I like Tradition 5. It's very clear. Our purpose is to carry our message. And to me, our message is sobriety. Our message should not be anything else other than sobriety. Our message is not how to save my marriage or your marriage. Our message is not to um, how to condemn my boss and what a jerk he may or may not be. Uh, my message and our message should not be how the world ought to be in a perfect place. Uh, our message is, are you staying sober? And it is sobriety. So anything else that might be troubling me is not the message of S.A., and I shouldn't be talking about it in meetings. So I think that's very profound, which is, does your group have a message of sobriety? What is the message of your group? Are you yourself promoting the message of the group? These are questions that um, I need to ask myself, am I promoting the message of our group today? Am I talking about sobriety? So there are plenty out there that suffer and, you know, I've got one mission. With that, I pass. Okay. Um, Bob, a sex addict. Um, yeah, I, 
it's uh, it's become a habit of mine to, to turn on my stopwatch when I speak because uh, not terribly unlike um, Dr. Burns Brady, sadly, I dearly love to hear myself talk, and uh, <laughs> so so I'm sorry it's, uh, if it's a problem for you, but uh, do the best you can to hang in. This will be over with soon. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, what I did in, in writing my notes is um, look back on my years of experience in recovery, um, both the times when, when I was a, a member and the times when I was just an attendee. Um, there is a difference, and I'll get into that in a minute. But um, I want to talk today about Tradition 3 first, uh, about the individual side of it, and then the group side of it. I'll do the same with Tradition 5. Um, of course, Tradition 3, again, stated is uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And this is a, this is a requirement for membership to the fellowship. You can still attend meetings. If you really don't desire to stop lusting, and you really, then by definition, you're really not interested in sexual sobriety. You can come to the meeting. They'll, they'll probably let you come to the meeting. Um, might be a good idea not to share a whole lot of your solution. Um, but nonetheless, you can come to the meeting. So you can attend, but, you know, you're not really a member. Um, just a guy in the room. And so the, the point then becomes if, if, you know, the thing I've heard universally in every single share this weekend, and I hear it in meetings too, is that when the people talk about the way lust has worked in their life, the outcome for that has always been a degree of pain, suffering, and mayhem. They base that on their description of their own individual mania for more, better, different. I don't think I've heard anybody yet tell me that, you know, I can lust a little bit and really stop and it's not a problem. Why? Because those people have already left the meetings anyway and they certainly wouldn't come to something like this. So if, if you're like me and you begin to lust, you realize quickly that it turns on the, 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 the craving and then I can't stop. So how can I do any work to recover if I'm not even a member? I need to first become a member so that I can work with members of the fellowship to do the other part which is a standalone separate thing, and that is do the work of recovery. Those two are not different. Just because you're a member of the fellowship doesn't mean you're doing the work of recovery. It just means you're the member. You've now developed, by the beating you've been taking over the unmanageability in your life from lust, a desire to stop lusting. A desire to stop lusting doesn't get you through step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, and it doesn't turn on the practice of taking a step 10 inventory every day. It doesn't do your amends for you. It doesn't write your inventory. It just gets you in the door. And so I found it helpful when my sponsor outlined for me the difference between being a member and being um, and doing the work. So from the group standpoint, um, this puts a wonderful guide. This 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 requirement for membership puts a wonderful guide. Kind of in the preamble, as you heard, we even said it in our preamble because that's our preamble. It puts a wonderful guide on, on who it is that's in the room. And, and so when you hear that preamble every time, whether you've got it memorized because you've heard it so many times or you heard it for the first time, you can't help but think to yourself, am I a, am I a member or not? And, and, you know, am I a member or not? And, and I, had, I started to grow the guts after a while to ask myself in the morning, do I have any interest in being a member of SA today? Do I have any interest in stopping lusting today? Do, do I have any interest at all? Or do I want to go on the Internet? You know, the Internet's my big, that's my crack cocaine, man. That's my dig. You know, yeah, there was other stuff too. But the Internet's my problem. And why? Because it's available. I go right there. And I can do it quick, do it fast, do it anonymously. Bam. You know, and, and so that's why it, it's so instantaneous of a hit for me that I have to ask myself there for the longest time every morning, do I have any interest in being a member of SA today or not? So in the members of the group, you'll have a room full of a ten, you'll have a room full of a mixture of people. Some will be members, some will be actually doing the work hopefully, and then some will be just people in the room. 
And the goal in, in our group is that, you know, that would be the case. Because if we don't have any newcomers, what, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, I was nuts. You know, they, they just didn't even want to sit near me. You know, I was, they figured my head was going to blow up. I was so pissed off. And why was I mad? Well, it was because I could control everything else in my life, or so I thought. But I couldn't make myself stop lusting. I couldn't keep this unmanageability from lust use out of my day-to-day, and that really made me mad. And so I wasn't fun to have around either. And I need to remind myself of that when I have some newcomer want to come in and spout off this drunkalogue of sexaholism that pisses me off. And quickly, if I can get to it quickly, the better. I say to myself, yeah, but what did you say to those people in those first couple of years? Do you remember that? So, you know, that was my thing. So in the group, it's a nice governing feature, this tradition, to help you understand who it is um, and how it's going to guide your group conscience. You know, if you're full of just a bunch of attendees and no one's really a member, what's going to happen in that meeting? I've been to a couple of those. And, you know, check-ins get out of control. No one cares how long they last, so they just take up the whole entire meeting on check-in. I've seen that. Uh, We have put a... Uh, time limit on ours because we have material we're going to go through. We're a book study and it's going to happen. Um, toxic sharing begins to happen because no one, no one seems to have any interest in, in, in solution, number one, but more importantly, they have no interest in whether or not anything they say triggers anybody. They don't even care because they're in their own little world. Um, outside interests become topic. Because we're not members anyway, we're, you know, we're just doing whatever we want. And, you know, so why run the meeting according to the guidelines if there's no members in the meeting? So no one even knows traditions exist, let alone, you know. So if you're not even hearing the preamble, you're in for an interesting treat. And if these people are calling themselves an essay meeting, I wonder what it's based on. And I only say all that. It sounds condescending. I don't mean to be judgmental. It's not my point. It's just I've sat through a few of these meetings, and I I try now just to be entertained by it because I really can't take it very seriously uh, or I'm just going to go nuts. So, you know, whatever the group becomes, it's no longer an essay meeting is the point. Um, So that's kind of the basis of step three and five. And the wisdom in it from us that for us that we gain from AA is that AA obviously had it abundantly obvious to them early on that this is a room full of catastrophe if we let these people who have turned inward on themselves into drink to a point of entire mania run this thing on their own accord and their best ideas that it's just going to get out of hand. And I did the same thing with lust. I turned inward on myself. The only thing I thought about was me. And all I had was, I'm just going to do whatever makes sense for me. And and, and if you're going to let me structure and run the meeting, it's going to not be anything like what I'm seeing here. And the thing's going to fall apart. So why is it important? It helps preserve us. We have a solution to the obsession of the mind, the mania that the unmanageability of lust addiction creates in anyone's life. We need to talk about what membership is and isn't, and we need to do the things that are needed to ensure that the program continues. So, as far as Tradition 5 goes, each group has but one primary purpose, and that's to carry its message to the sexaholic who still suffers. Um... So, and again, like I say, if the group isn't even of members, then what would be their purpose? If there's no recovery in the room, you know, it's the thing to think about. And the thing that that people talk to me is, well, you know, I'm in a remote area and and we don't have anybody that's sober. Um, Okay, get a remote sponsor. Not only get the remote sponsor, but be willing to travel somewhere to meet and sit down with them and go through the steps if necessary. I was willing to do that, to go meet and sit down with who it was I was going to act out. <laughs> oh, I'd, I set up many trips at the expense of others to make that rendezvous. So I had nothing to stand on when they said you should go sit down there with them in the virtually, interestingly enough, the very exact same town. Uh, <laughs> 
You know, so like, what's my problem? You know, and so I get recovery. Gratefully for me in Detroit, I had a guy that was a big book thumper and had many years of AA experience, was also an SA, and knew the difference between trying to spend AA money in SA and doing the work in NSA who was a lot like me. He was a gift from God, and he took me through the steps. So I had it local first, but later on I eventually got the sponsor out of town. So if you're in a remote area and you're having a problem with a meeting that has any sobriety or purpose or meaning whatsoever, these people don't know anything about what's going on, then get a remote sponsor. Uh, phone meetings, come to one of these things. You know, one of the guys from Nebraska asked that same guy that took me through the steps to sponsor him at a remote meeting. And there wasn't any sobriety in Nebraska at the time where he was at. And there is now. I met his new sponsor. I sponsored that young man for a while. It was a gift. Why? It was a gift because he was interested in becoming a member of the program and working the program of recovery using the spiritual kit of tools because he knew it wasn't going to be enough for him to just show up. And so that's that's what happened. And so we've seen this happen. And now there's a what's a really cool part is that when you have somebody that's remote like that who does this stuff, now you've really got recovery at that place. And pretty soon there's a meeting. A little while later there's three meetings. And they're carrying the message. So... Anyway, going on for the individual, the question I have to ask myself is, what message do I have to carry? You know, we were we were the first. I remember the first SA meeting in Detroit in '98 when I came into the program. It had been going on oh three, four, five years, maybe a little longer than that. And uh, the story I heard about that meeting is that when it was first forming, there was about three or four people, one of which was a lady. And uh, it had been chugging along for a little while, and, and, and she finally got enough of it and came down with stairs one, one night and said to these guys, after listening to 10 or 15 or 20 more minutes of the problem, and she piped up and said, guys, you know, we've been doing this now for however long, three or four years, and I don't think any of us really need to talk much more uh, about the problem unless there's something current. Because I don't think any of us um, need any further explanation about it. And I think, honestly, if we don't start talking about the solution, then I don't think there's any hope for us. And the light went on at about three of the older the members who had some sobriety, and, and they, they rallied around that. And so what they did in a group conscious meeting is they, they structured the format of the meeting around a heavier focus on what it is that the materials tell us about the solution rather than the problem. And a few more people showed up, some more people started really doing a lot of step work, and before long the thing was available. Now, if that meeting would have dissolved, I don't know where I'd have gone to a meeting, because that was the only meeting in Detroit. And if I hadn't found a meeting, and it had been like in Toledo or something, I don't know that I'd have gone. I know one thing is for sure. Where I was at and what I was doing at that time, had I continued doing it much longer, I'd have been dead or in jail. That's how important it is to get this right. We have a moment of silence for those who are still suffering at the end of our meetings. And I sit there and I've finally distilled it down to one prayer. And I say, God, we're here. They're out there. You know who they are. Help us be here when they need us. And the way we do that is through these traditions. And I thank God for AA to develop them, to put some parameters around addictive behavior so they got something to base their continuation off of. So we need to be available. This tradition gives addicts governing principles that enable the solution to exist and remain available. This tradition offers guidance for what we offer verbally and for what we offer financially to enable preservation of having a solution and having it remain available, not only just for us in our meeting, but for the Greater Detroit SA Intergroup, because we have to give a certain amount to them, and to the Greater International Intergroup, which we give a little bit to them too. Why? Because those finances need to be given in a balanced way so that all levels of the essay solution 
can be remaining available to everyone who suffers. Because I don't know what you guys think, but you know, every time I hear about another suicide, I can't help but wonder if lust addiction was involved or not. I'll never know, but I will wonder. And if you wonder what happened to the rest of us who don't show up to meetings, if they're not dead, they're in prisons. If you don't believe that, do some prison work. I was asked after the Detroit SAS 2000 convention to go to prison work. And we had, through a very perfect storm, very, had a very unusual opportunity to go to the largest walled prison facility in the world in southeastern Michigan. It's the famous Jackson Prison. Growing up, the inmates used to run that asylum. Um, I was told stories of the, by the people who should know that you couldn't go into cell block 8 without tracking out human blood. Um, it was a brutal place. And it's not like that anymore. They divided it up into five different prisons, and we had the chance then to go into this now really reformatted prison. It's still the same facility. The physical building is the same, but they've they've updated it. And we did SA meetings in there for two and a half years. And, and I saw and heard things of every level of insanity that exists in the unmanageability of addiction to lust. And the other prison we went to was a, that was a, I was working with grade four and five max guy, well, three and four max. Grade five max doesn't have any contact with people. Um, these guys are like, some of them were sitting there with three, uh, 20 year convictions, uh, for CSC, um, multiple rape convictions. These, these were hardened criminals, but some of them weren't either. Some of them were guys just like me, uh, that were in for five or ten. Um, but, but anyway, long story short, while that was a big eye opener, um, we were carrying the message. We also got to go to Adrian, and uh, that's a level one facility, and those those individuals were um, uh, about to get out. The very first meeting we ever had in that facility was 29 members. And so if you're ever wondering where our people are, um, I don't know where they are, but I do know there's a lot of us in prison. And a lot of those guys got to prison long before they had any of the foggiest notion that the solution to their problem even existed. And so the other primary purpose I think we should have is be available for those guys when they get out because a bunch of them learn about us while they're inside. So with that, I'm going to pass and open it up to questions. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. What do we want to do here? Do we want to read the Go ahead pick one up. All right, I know the traditions are important for our recovery as the steps, but I find they're almost impossible to remember. Can you relate to this? Uh, if you do, how do you uh, help yourself remember them? Work the steps. Work the traditions. If you work the traditions like you work the steps, you will remember the traditions, and you will bring sobriety to your group each and every time. Paul, grateful sexaholic. Sometimes uh, posting them helps. Uh, certainly working through the tradition of the month, um, putting it out in the forefront, uh, that's, that's the best way to do it. I can't remember every single word, how it's written, but I, under, but I can remember uh, what it means and what it stands for and how it does fit in between the steps and the, and the traditions. So... Uh, if you don't have it posted in your home group or if it's not in any of the readings, uh, here's a good opportunity to carry the message. Yeah, with regards to remembering this, um, one of the things is, is you heard me talk about in, in, in here, and this question became uh, came in before before the part where I talked about it, but um, some of these traditions are really important. I mean, to me, Tradition three is the sign above the door at every SA meeting. <laughs> it, it's the what are we uh, of what, what we're going to be doing in there. And so for me, it's important enough to where, like I said, I, I found I need to ask myself every day, do I have a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober? And pretty soon I had it memorized, which, you know, is harder and harder. I'm only 52, but, you know, I find every year it's a little harder memorized. <laughs> <laughs> or you know I you know I can I can remember the you know 
tradition three, but I can't find my car in a parking structure after work. But um, <laughs> it's just craziness. But but yeah. So the other thing that I want to offer about remembering these traditions, uh, whichever one it may be, um, if there's not a book study meeting in your area, start one. And the beauty of starting a book study meeting is, you know, let it have the pre the essay preamble so you're staying true to what makes the basis of an essay meeting and close it with essay postamble. But spend the do a short check in and spend the time reading the materials and make it conference approved materials. And you know what is an awesome book study is the twelve and twelve. And we did a book study in Detroit when we first started out in downtown Detroit, about a block and a half from the Detroit River which, by the way, is um, north of Canada. Many folks don't realize that, you know, the reason we have to play hockey so well in Detroit is because really Canada is south of us. And, and <laughs> it's a little known fact. But anyway, we, we did a 12 and 12 book study there, and we would literally read one paragraph and then talk about it. And the beauty of that for us is in that room we had the resource of experience that, enable us to really fill the rest of the meeting with some pretty cool stuff. And we took, how, Kevin, I think it was a couple of years it took us to get through the steps in the 12 and 12. Just the steps. Later on we did the traditions. And when you, however you go through it, you don't have to take the two years like we did, but it's awesome. And do the book study on the traditions. And then compare that with the way that you're running your meeting. Oh, is that fun? Because <laughs> pretty soon you say, wait a minute, I don't think we're doing that. You know, people say, really? Who wrote this? You know, it's fun because, you know, we're so focused, a lot of us, and, and rightfully so, on, on the steps in recovery or on the fellowship, that sadly, I, I personally think that maybe there's a lot of meetings out there, and I, I want to be wrong about this, but maybe there's a lot of meetings out there that don't know anything about the traditions. You know, so, you know, I would hope that, that as a group, and if you don't have a book study meeting in, in your area, start one. I mean, you can do that. And why? Because the stuff, what you're going to talk about is conference approved material. So you don't have to worry about going off track. I mean, it's all right there before you. If you stay focused on the materials, you'll be fine. What's the next, what's the next question? All right, if the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop lusting and our purpose is to carry the message, how do we deal with same-sex brethren and monogamous loving partnerships who struggle with lusting outside of their primary relationships? Does the Cleveland clarification pass judgment? Well, here's a cross to impale myself upon. Um, <laughs> You know, um, a couple things come up for me in this question. Uh, you know, uh, my, my short answer is: is how do I deal uh, with same? Uh, how do we deal with same-sex brethren and monogamous loving partnerships who struggle with lusting outside of their primary relationships? The same way I would deal with a uh, um, heterosexual uh, brethren that was dealing with lusting outside of their primary relationship. It's someone that's struggling with lust. And therefore, do they not, um, you know, would I not care for that person and love that person the same way I would love anybody else? What would the master do? Um, so uh, does the Cleveland clarification pass judgment? I don't know. I've never been able to uh, find the Cleveland clarification because i got too many filters on my computer, and every time I type it in, it comes up blocked. So I don't really know what it is. Um, so, um, um, my humble advice um, is that if, uh, you know, uh, in my groups we have a task force that uh, kicks down doors late at night and jumps in to see if you're really is sober and you're you know, practicing um, sex the way that, that it's intended. And, um, you know, and if you deviate anywhere from that, then you get fined, penalized, and, you know, shellacked in public. So... Um, if you guys haven't started that task force yet, it's great. Um, so, uh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I would say um, 
ask yourself the question, what would the master do? What would the master do? Yeah, thanks, Bodie. Um, there was some discussion about that task force in Detroit. Um, the problem with Detroit is that uh, that too closely resembles home invasion, and everyone was sure they'd be killed because if you come into my house in the middle of the night, I'm going to blow you away. I'm not even going to ask for your name. If I can't identify you as someone I'm related to, uh, you, you get the shotgun. So we knew that, you know, and that's just the way Detroit rolls. I, it's not just me. Um, and, and no, I, I, I don't own a shotgun for that reason. So, so right, I, I shouldn't say that I do, but it's not set up to respond that way. Uh, I'm really hoping now, based on the, the advice of my sponsors and the fellowship, that, that, uh, guns are not a part of my future. But, um, anyway, um, the, if the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting, which it is, and, and to be, desire sexual sobriety, then, um, how do we deal with same-sex brethren. I've sponsored a number of, of guys who who deal with same-sex attraction um, over the years. Um, I, I, I personally don't. Um, I, I'm not in that category. I just am not in that category, that's all. Um, I am so grateful that my parents taught me not to see color, race, ethnicity. Because I can take that same... Approach with sexual preference. I just don't care if you're gay. I just don't care. And the reason I get to not care is because I have a solution that works for you the same exact way it works for me. And that's all I need to know. And for me, what it allows me to do is that if there's any other commentary out there that seems to pass judgment... I get to put it in the beautiful category of outside interest. And when it's an outside interest, that means I don't have to concern myself with it because it doesn't pertain to me. And, you know, it may not be an outside interest, but I just don't care. And the reason, again, I don't care is that if you have a problem with same-sex lusting, you have the same problem with lusting that I have with heterosexual lusting. Okay? The solution that worked for me, I've watched work for people who have problems with same-sex lusting when they do the work. When they don't do the work, it doesn't work for them any better than it didn't work for the guys that are heterosexual that didn't do the work. It comes all back down to that same old thing. You're either going to do the 12 steps or you're not. You're either going to get sober or you're not. And you're going to start all that about right after you've had enough pain. Because I found for me anyway that pain was my big motivator. When my life was unmanageable enough for me to where I didn't even want to live in it, uh, and, and, and my problems are getting bigger faster than my life was falling apart, then I'd hit bottom and, and was ready to move on. So that's kind of my commentary on that. I needed to be more interested in, in working the program and getting sober than anything else. And when I finally did that, my life started to come back together. Paul, grateful recovery sexaholic. I've been around the program now for 14 years, and... Um, these questions of clarification, these questions of uh, interpretation um, always seem to resolve themselves. Uh, first question I was asked when I had my own opinion about some things is, have you worked the 12 steps? Have you worked the 12 steps with sponsees? Have you worked the traditions? Have you worked the concepts? Have you been involved in service? Have you been involved in intergroup? Um, and oh, by the way, um, if you're not happy with the way the program's been set up, there are other programs out there that might fit what you want. And I've made the decision that I I want to live according to the uh, the white book, the way it's laid out, because, again, I'm a con man, and I can believe and try to talk you into anything that else that I believe. But I found that um, this program works for me. Uh, the next question talks about the difference between other S programs. There are many other S programs out there. I've been to different S meetings. Uh, the only place that I've, for me, that I've been able to find serenity is uh, through SA, through the uh, 12 steps, through the traditions, through the fellowship of the spirit, and the way things have been run. Uh, I did not find peace and happiness in the others. If you give me an inch, I will take a mile. And uh, 
for me that is self-destructive. And then my life becomes more about my own personal motivation for resentment and self-sabotage than loving and carrying the message uh, further the way um, I believe that uh, it's been set forward and the guidelines that I wish to follow. And that's all I have on that. I'm Bob with Sex Addict. Um, what's the difference between SA and SAA? Um, I don't have a lot to say about this because I don't, uh, when I was sitting with my therapist about my problem with sex, he, he announced to me that there exists a program called, uh, he, he announced to me that my problem is sexaholism, and I'd never even heard the word before in my life. No, I may have heard the word, but I certainly didn't acknowledge you know, that I had heard the word. <laughs> so that whole concept was brand new to me, and I was absolutely new to it. And and the next thing he said is he says, you know, there's because of it, there's there's meetings of of recovery from this that you'll need to attend. And and he says I've discovered that there's like three or four different fellowships. And in my own experience as a as a as a therapist, re- recommending people do this because it's a part of what we're going to be doing in therapy. That one of them works pretty well, and it's SA. And when you say to me one of them works really well, I'm going to listen to what you say next and forget everything else. So I went to SA meetings, and they had what I needed. It wasn't until years later, and I've sponsored some guys from other fellowships that have come into SA, that I started to learn a little bit about these other fellowships. And all I know for sure is that a sexaholic of my type that has created the degree of emotional and spiritual destruction that I've created for myself in my life and for my family needs a clear and firm bottom line. Why? Because if I don't have it, I'll make one up. I promise you the bottom line I will have is very different than the essay bottom line. Because <laughs> especially at that time, I wasn't really interested in being a member. I wanted to still try to figure out how to control and enjoy it. So at first, it's so important for me to have had that clear and firm bottom line. So that's important. I don't know anything about these other programs. I've never attended their meetings. If there are people in those fellowships that are 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 getting freedom from their problems, God bless them, folks, really. And I don't mean that the way my sponsor refers to you when he says, God bless you. Um, but, <laughs> but, oh, it's bless her heart. But anyway, um, moving on, I just want to say that I, I don't have anything bad to say about SAA or SLAA or S, you know, any of that. I just don't, because I just don't know anything about what they're doing. Why? Because I never felt the need to go to their meetings. I, I had already found the solution for me. And again, if there's folks there that are, that are happy, joyous, and free, then, you know, my God's big enough for there to be more than one solution in this world. Um, he's also big enough to get me to the one I needed, and I'm there. And that's all I need to know now. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And I just refuse to take their inventories on these other programs. It's just that I'm fine where I'm at, and I'm growing, and I'm getting better, and I'm grateful because I just don't have to live like I used to have to live. Thanks. What's the difference between SA and SAA? Uh, create your own definition, different sobriety definition. Yeah, probably. There's also an extra A at the end of SAA than SA. Um, and I think that says it all. Uh, I don't mean to make light of, the, light of that, but it, sometimes humor keeps me uh, grounded. Um, I, I've been in meetings where you know, people say, well, you know, I couldn't possibly SA make my own definition. You know, this is why we're better. And I was like, that's right. God's been telling me we're better. We're the best. Um, you know, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with any other program. Period. You know, are there people that are sex addicts and sexaholics there? Yeah. Are they in the same pain that I am? Yeah. Is my program better for them? I got no earthly idea. That task force comes by every night uh, in that, where I'm from. You know, they, I'll let them decide. But for me, um, I am where I am because of where I am. I'm sober today. I'm sober today because of SA. My reasons for choosing SA was that when I relocated from Charlotte 
to you know Asheville, North Carolina, um, there was a fellowship of people that were suffering, or had suffered, or were recovering, and that's what I needed. And so that's that's why I'm there. I like the program; it works for me today. I've been to other S fellowships. I've gotten help there. I've seen other people get help there. Whether they stay sober or not in that program, whether one's better than the other, I got no idea. That's not for me to um, decide. Once again, I go back to page 417 of the big book where it says, he forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. This is progress, not perfection for me. There's a bit of good in the worst of us. There's a bit of bad in the best of us. And we're all children of God, and we all have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying that I know better. And I just know today that that's not, that's, that is completely false. I know no better than God. So, I mean, and that's a, for me, that's a good mindset to keep with any situation. Um, a lot of the things that I, um, find unacceptable about the world or uncon- that I cannot control. Well, the only reason it's a big problem is because I'm living in the world at the same time that happens to be going on. Would this be a big deal for me if I was living 300 years prior to this event? Is it going to be a big deal for me 300 years from now after I'm long and gone? You know, being present is being where I am right now. And right now I'm in a Nashville. I'm surrounded by sex addicts, and I'm okay with that. I'm sober today. Another question. Um now there were two cards here. Is this is this something that was written out um, as one basic question and two separate ones? Okay. Um, the the first one was uh, asking for any tips on um, a share. It says here I'm a share or die member. I want to shut up sometimes, but I tell myself I'm needing to carry the message. Um, how do I know God's will each time? I also think I know, uh, I, I always think I know, ego is cunning and baffling. Um, so any tips? And you know, I'm really grateful you wrote that out because I, you and I are uh, struggle with the very same thing. Um, after the 2000 Detroit Convention, one of our old-time members who is a master of the economy of words, something I've always admired, um, asked me to be the involved in prison ministry, which I was talking about a little earlier. And obviously I did it. But I, the very first thing I said to him is I, I said, Keith, my gosh, I said, what on earth would I have to say in, to someone who's inside? <laughs> and, and of course, he, he's a, just a wonderful, serene old guy. He says, you know, Bob, I, I realize that you know it's not a good meeting until you've shared. <laughs> but maybe what you do is just go there. Maybe you don't say anything. Maybe you just sit down in the group and shut up. He says, you know, I write to these guys, um, and most of them are pretty convinced that there's nobody at all on the outside that cares a damn about them. So the fact that you showed up is going to wreck that. So just go over there. Um, I was taking myself too seriously. Um, One of the things that helped me a great deal about this very topic of feeling like I know and using the justification, because I'm a master justifier, that I need to carry the message is the whole thing that happened when I began to finally work the steps for the first time, which was that I fired the management and I absolutely disqualified every amount of advice I was giving to myself. I had no... I had no counsel to give myself. So I needed somebody to tell me how to live, and that's what I, that was what my sponsor was for. And I also got stuff from my group, you know, through the things that they shared indirectly. 
But I always try to check all this stuff with my sponsor. And, and, and what I was doing, not realizing it completely at the time, was I was restructuring the guidelines by which I engaged everything. And any time I thought I needed to carry the message or I thought that I, I'm, I'm in a share or die situation, I, I thought, all right, well, I wonder what my sponsor would tell me to do. And though I didn't know and I couldn't really ask him at the moment, um, I ran the scenario by later and he says, yeah, it's probably a good time to just be quiet right about then. At least for me at that time where I was at with what I had going on. Now, that may not be true for you, but it was for me. So... And anyway, there's another question here also, and I want to let Bodie give a run at that. Okay. I think the answer is yes. Um, th this question reads, I was number six on the Tradition 5 checklist for seven years. What's that say? Um, a word who was carrying the message in the essay um, but I got stuck at step six, went to AA, and I felt that I had to leave SA because I was ashamed that I'd carried the message somehow falsely. It's important not to, find, not to shortchange people who have been in other programs by not helping them. I don't know if that's a question. Um, yeah, that's if that's part of the question, uh, you know, if you're saying you're number six, do I remember old timers too can be sexaholics who still suffer, but I try to help them or learn from them. You know, if they're sober, learn. If they're not sober, help. That I pass. Yeah, we're just about done. Um, did they turn it off? Anyway, all right. The, the thing I would just simply say is that, you know, it, I, all I can do is, is try to put myself in the position that was outlined here in this, in this question, and that is, is that if I had gotten caught up in this, uh, I would have once again gotten caught up in my thinking. The best, uh, the best solution I have for the dilemma of, that I create for myself by getting caught up in my thinking is running this by uh, my sponsor or my grand sponsor or both. And saying, oh, here's what I'm thinking or feeling, or here's what I, here's how this ended up. And did, it, did this, what's your advice? And then for me, uh, that's when I need to just shut up and listen and, and do exactly what they say. So, anyway. Would you like to close it up? Okay. Anything you've heard about at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles in SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Let us get together, form a circle, and close with a third step prayer.
I'm the director of the Thank you. 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 Right on. In all of Montana. That's interesting. So it's in town. I'm living in Brian. The real. Yeah, now I can't make up there. no I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.